Quiet, please. Quiet, please. Broadcasting System presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for tonight is called Not Enough Time. Wait just a minute, will you please? I gotta bust this thing up. I'll only be a minute. $40 worth of junk and four years' work. And here's a bale of notes that the editor of Astonishing Stories would give his eye teeth for. He ain't gonna get them. Yeah, that is strictly that. No, it was a time machine. Yeah, one of those gadgets to travel in time, you know, turn it on and it takes you back 50 years and so on. You know, like Alley Oop and the Funny Paper, like the stories that H.G. Wells wrote. You know. Yeah, this was the dial you set for how far you wanted to go in time. And this was the cucambulator. And here's a piece of the... Well, never mind what it was. It's none of your business. I sure wish I hadn't monkeyed with a time machine. Oh, this one worked. Sure. That's what's the matter, see? It worked. Well, I don't want any part of time machines, not after what happened to me with this one. You can make one for yourself if you want to, and if you can, but you're not going to get any help from me. Oh, they can be made all right, me. I'm just a bumble-fingered mechanic out of a garage, and I make one. But I'll give you my first and last piece of advice, Buster. Don't you do it. I saved up my dough, and working around a garage, I could glom onto a gadget here and there that Cliff Oswald didn't know about. I had a lathe there and some other machinery, and I did the rough handwork there. Then when I quit and rented this old busted-down farmhouse out here on Cemetery Road, I bought some more machinery, see, some stuff for precision work and some stock, a piece of iridium from that fountain pen factory in Fort Madison, Iowa, Two or three polystyrene plastics that they made for me in Parlin, New Jersey. Special crown glass prisms I had made here in town. And some other stuff. Quite a lot of other stuff. And try and find out what it was. You know, you'd be surprised how easy it is to stop out of sight in a small town. This place here is way out in the sticks past the cemetery, off on a side road that nobody's used for 20, 30 years. And I'd done all my shopping in Peoria instead of here in Pekin. I never went downtown for anything. So, nobody knew I was here. It was just that easy. I put in nearly four years, like I said. And then, all of a sudden, a doggone thing worked. I was just sitting here, and I turned it on, see? And just like that, it was raining. Well, the 
sun was shining bright when I turned it on, and for a minute I couldn't figure it out. And then I remembered it rained the day before, and by golly, it was the day before, right then. How do you like that? Well, I stayed in yesterday for ten minutes, and then, tick, we came back, and the rain stopped, and the sun was shining again. It wasn't even damp outside. Well, I'm not going into a lot of details that you wouldn't understand if I told them to you, but the net of the thing was I decided they'd really try it. But really. And that's the story. Now, supposing you intended to take a trip back 50 years in time, how'd you prepare for it? Well, I'll tell you what I did. First, I studied an old history of Tazewell County, paying particular attention to 1897, 50 years ago. Yeah, so as I wouldn't make any more baubles than necessary. I picked out a place on a map where there wasn't any trees in 1897. Well, I didn't want to find myself hanging from somebody's apple tree when the thing stopped. Then I bought my equipment. I got me a revolver and a camera and a flashlight. Then some aspirin and I was all fixed. I moved the gadget out in the back lot where the map said there wasn't any trees 50 years before and I set it back to 50 years, and I was reaching for the release when I, I got a sudden fast thought. There I was, dressed in a double-breasted gray suit with white stripes and a blue sports shirt and a pair of brown and white shoes. It was the shoes, I guess. I, I looked down at them, and I said, holy Moses, would I be a number in 1897 in this outfit? They'd throw me in the can before I could say howdy. <laughs> Imagine. So I quick disconnected the machine from my wrist and put it back in the house and jumped in the car and beat it for Peoria in a theatrical costume house. Rothy thought I was nuts, but I got the rig I was looking for. <laughs> How do you like it? This here brown derby's a dinger, ain't it? Uh, even with a dent in it. <laughs> and get a load of the shoes. <laughs> Buttons. Hey, you know what? There ain't any place where you can buy a buttonhook today. Well, anyway, you want to hear the story. I got the machine out again and set it and took a long breath, and I said, Well, kid, hold your hat. Here we go. And I pressed the button. Somebody calling me. Well, there couldn't have been. You hold up your hands there, you hear me? What? Now, look out with that gun, Buster. You hold up your hands or I'll be forced to shoot. Who do you think you are? You'll find out soon enough. Keep your hands up now, you hear me? This is a fine way to welcome a stranger, bud. This is the way I welcome strangers all the time. Don't give me any sass, either. Who are you? My name's Walter McCoy. What you doing here? I'm a... I'm a visitor. Visiting who? Visiting the... Uh, the sheriff. Oh, you are, eh? Uh, John Stout. Pleased to meet you. Huh? I'm John Stout, stranger. Oh, my God. And you sure are going to visit me. Come on, march. You see? Smart guy, me. I told you I studied that history of Tazewell County on my head hurt. The only name I could think of when this guy popped up from behind the hedge was the sheriff. Well, John Stout marched me over to a horse and buggy, and he buttoned me to a stanchion with the biggest pair of rusty handcuffs I ever saw and said, Get out, Queenie, and away we went to the jailhouse. 
And my time machine lying on the ground out there two miles from where I was looking out of an iron-barred window. And it was all set to come back to 1947 in just 24 hours, whether I was there or not. How do you like that? I had a very pretty picture of me getting a 50-year jail sentence and getting out of Juliet just in time to come back to the house out on Cemetery Road and pick up where I left off, only at the age of 76 instead of 26. Very pretty, huh? Yeah, that's what I thought. Well, they had me up before Judge Curran good and fast, but try as they could, they couldn't get anything on me. Horse stealing. I didn't steal any horses. Uh, lurking and lying in wait. Well, I was just standing there. Uh, disturbing the peace? I didn't say a word. Disorderly conduct. Well, I said to myself, I'll buy that. It can't be a jail sentence for disorderly conduct. And I've got three or four hundred dollars in my pocket, and I, I can afford the fine, but I've got to get out of here. So I paid off ten dollars in costs. Uh, Eleven dollars and ninety-six cents. Sure, sure. Oh, I'd remember to get some old, big-sized bills, all kind of dirty, figuring they wouldn't examine the bills close enough so as I could get away if I got in a jam, you see, before anybody looked at the dates. Mm-hmm, I was a smart kid. It says here. Uh, by this time, I've got a lot less than 24 hours before the old machine takes off, and I'm beginning to get a small order of goose pimples on the back of my neck because I'm not exactly sure where the darn thing is. After all, I'd never been here before except 50 years later, you see, and if I missed the thing, oh, man. I thought, though, I'd kind of case the town a little bit, so if I wanted to come back, you know... Well, I walk up Court Street a block, and there on the corner of 5th is Bill Kelly's livery stable, where Conigan's Ford Agency is now, right across the street, practically, from where I used to work for Cliff Oswald. There's nothing but a vacant lot there. So I go into the stable and hire me a rig. <laughs> Get me, hire a rig. <laughs> and pay in advance, and I take off. Did you ever drive a horse and buggy? Man, I was all over the lot. But I got out there after a fashion... Uh, out where I thought I'd left the machine. So I tied the horse to a tree. Somebody'd come and get him, I figured, and he could eat grass. Uh, that is, if horses eat grass. And I started looking. It was just a great big field, see? Uh, no landmarks of any kind. I got more and more panicky because that old clock was going round and round and round. And, and then I saw a hole in the ground, uh... A big hole, dirt piled up around it, and out of the corner of my mind, I sort of remembered seeing it when I landed. When when Stout grabbed me, and all of a sudden, I had it. This, this old house I worked in was about 50 years old. And by golly, this was the foundation part that somebody was digging. Oh, well, sure, I found the machine easy then, south of the excavation, about 50 yards, lying there, ticking away as if nothing had happened. Oh, boy, I said. Oh, boy. I practically kissed the thing. And then I jumped about six feet in the air. What are you doing on our land, young man? Wow. Wow, there was the most beautiful girl in the world. Just the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. Red hair, no makeup, Natch. And I tell you, she looked beautiful even in an 1897 outfit. A brown dress down to her ankles and a, a white shirtwaist with big red polka dots on it. And a hat that, yeah, that looked like a dog's dinner. And she looked wonderful. And she pointed those big blue eyes at me, and she said again, 
What are you doing on our land? And when I could get my breath, I said, Who are you, lady? My father and I merely happen to be the owners of this land, that's all. Well, I was, uh, I mean, well, lady, I'm sorry. You're trespassing. Well, I'm sorry. I, uh, uh, used to live there in that house you're going to build. What? Uh, I mean, I'm going to live in, uh, I, uh, uh, my name is Walter McCoy. Well, I'll thank you to get off our land, Mr. Walter McCoy. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, sure, I'll get off. Right away. Uh, yes, ma'am. Well, go on. Well, lady, I... Uh, what's your name? Carrie McKinstry. Uh, Miss Carrie McKinstry, so there. Carrie McKinstry. Gee. Sir? We're both Max, Carrie. How dare you? What? A gentleman would address me as Miss McKinstry, sir. Sir? Well, I'll be darned. I don't understand you. I said, look, we're both Max, see? Uh, maybe you're Irish, too. Are you Irish? Irish descent. So are we. Well, what do you know? About what? Hello, Irish. Sir? <laughs> you're fresh. You're beautiful. Take care, sir. Hey, do people really talk like that? What people? Do you live around here? On Annalisa Street, down near the firehouse. Well, what you doing out here? You ask an awful lot of questions. Well, I'm interested. You're a masher. A what? A masher. Don't you try to mash me. My gosh, Miss McKinstry, I, I wouldn't hurt you. You certainly talk strangely, Mr. McCoy. Well, I, I come from a, a long way from here, see. Are you a drummer? No, I used to play a little piano when I was a kid. I mean a traveling man. Well, yes. Yes, you might say I'm a traveling man. Yes, I guess I am. What are you doing here? Uh, traveling, I guess. Well, then, you travel. Listen, Miss McCary, I, I have to wait a while. Why? Well, uh, uh... What's that machine thing there? It's a... Uh, a gadget. Oh. Look, I, I have to wait a little while, uh, Carrie. Uh, let's you and me sit down and talk for a minute, will you? Not in the habit of talking to persons I don't know, Mr. McCoy. You know me? You just call me by name. Harry? Why, why, well, what would we talk about? Let's, uh, let's talk about the future. Did you ever hear of love at first sight? Yeah, I always thought it was fun, too. It ain't. No. I wish you could have seen that girl. Red hair. Blue eyes. Oh, I said that, though, didn't I? Well, nobody's going to see her. Not me. We sat there on a pile of dirt about, though I guess I did most of the talking I told her about. Automobiles and radio, skyscrapers, airplanes, I think. Mm, I think I did. And she sat there and didn't believe a word of it, but she loved it. We got along toward dark and we still sat there. And the sun went down across the river. Oh, man. Yeah. I can I forgot for a minute she was out. Oh. Sir, I'll have you 
know that I'm a respectable girl. And I picked myself up out of the dirt and shoved my jaw back in place. Oh, Walter. Walter, did I hurt you? Walter. And the sound of her voice came back to me. Remember when I took off on this trip? Somebody yelled at me. Then I didn't have any more time to think because Carrie had her arms around me and she was crying and kissing me. And... Yeah, it sure was love at first. Double. Carrie McKinstry and Walter McCall. October 5th, 1897. And then she pushed herself away from the sudden I had to lay the clock the next morning. We couldn't sit there in the field all night. I said, 
I'll take you home, Carrie, and we can talk about it on the way. So she said, all right, and we climbed into the buggy and started back to town. You know, you can say what you want to about this world we got today, but you've never been riding along an unpaved road with a hedge fence along one side and big elm trees lying on the other side and a lap road over your knees. And the big round harvest moon shining down above the hills up towards Billy Moore's place. And lonesome little lights from kerosene lamps shining out of windows off in the distance. And the girl alongside. Ah, that was a pretty good world they had 50 years ago. It was a pretty good world. I wish we had it now. Yeah, I should have stayed. But I didn't. Well, we got to her house. There wasn't anybody home. I thought it was a railroad man who was out on the run somewhere, Decatur or Springfield or Bloomington or somewhere. And we went to the house. I'd seen the picture. She lit a kerosene lamp, and there it was. Brother, I should have stayed. Rag carpet on the floor. A pump at the kitchen sink that went ewah, ewah. When she pumped the water for the coffee. You know, there wasn't a tin can in the kitchen cup. Yeah, I should have stayed. So we were having a little supper in the parking You know, low voices. Eating pork chops and applesauce. And there was an apple pie on the table. And coffee and... Well, believe it or not, in a mustache cup. It was awful nice in the other night. And there was a knock. Who's that? And the door opened. A great big tall woman walked in. She jumped when she saw me. Oh, well, excuse me. Why, good evening, Mrs. Stout. No, you have company, Carrie. I wouldn't come dressing in like this. It's all right, Mrs. Stout. Mrs. Stout, this is Mr. McCoy. Oh, good to meet you, Mr. McCoy. How do you do? Well, I've been poorly, but I'm tolerable now, thank you. A stranger in town, Mr. McCoy? Mr. McCoy is a, a stranger in town. My goodness. Nice and cozy, ain't he? Ain't your father an approved guy? Not that it's any of my business, of course, but <laughs> it is a little odd. Isn't it, Mr. McCoy? Yes. Yes, it's, it's very odd. Mr. McCoy is a friend of mine, Mr. Stout. Well, I should think so. Mrs. Stout lives next door, Walter. I forgot to tell you. I see, and Mr. Stout lives there, too. Of course, he's up at the county jail quite a lot. He's the sheriff, you know. Yes, I know. Yes, you know. He's out looking for a mystery or something. Is he? A stranger in town. Is that so? He'll be home any minute. Maybe he'll drop in. Oh, well, I, uh, I gotta be going. Yes, uh, Walter is in a hurry. He just stopped in for a, a bite to eat. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'll just happen to see that rig from this Tally's livery table out in front. And this guy, what's that rig doing out in front of McKinstry? So I decided to stop in for a minute. Well, uh, where did you come from, did you say, Mr. What was the name? Why, uh, I, uh... Hey, uh... uh McCoy, Mr. Stout. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Carrie said. Well, good night. Good night. Good night. Oh, Walter. I get it. Look what I've done to oh, it's you. It's all right, honey, if I can get out of here before Stout comes home. She'll tell him. You kidding? Sure she will. 
I don't see how fast that horse of Mr. Kelly's is. You'll have to hurry, Walter. Oh, Walter, darling. Yeah, I can't be helped, honey. But I wish... Oh, Walter, you will come back, won't you? You bet I'll come back. And I'll make me another of these machines, and I'll come and get... He's in there, John. He's right in there with Captain Kitty. Quick, turn out the light. Come on back, Charlie Biddy. Come on. Get back door, Walter, quick. Hear me? Come on back, the boy. I'll come back, Harry. I'll come back. Oh, hurry, hurry. I'll come in there. Get Kitty, quick. Oh, Walter, I love you. I love you. Come back, come back. I'll come back. Uh, where'd he go? Harry, Walter, John, run. And I ran, brother, how I ran. Over a board fence. And I could hear the sheriff yelling right behind me. And the machine was ticking and ticking, and I was wishing it was 8 o'clock and wondering what had happened when I did come back to 1897, and then... And I was dodging an automobile in a street in Pekin, Illinois, in 1947. Yes. Yeah. The machine was set for 8 o'clock, and it was 8 o'clock, only 12 hours earlier than I figured. So I... Walked on out here. I kept wondering what happened to Sheriff Stout when I disappeared. What happened to Bill Kelly's horse and buggy? And what happened to Harry McKinstry? Well, I, I came in the house. I turned on the light. I didn't see anybody at first. I heard her voice. Sheridan played Carrie. Sheriff Stout was Donald Briggs, and Catherine Meskill was Mrs. Stout. The music for Quiet Please is composed and played, as usual, by our good friend Gene Plazo. Now, for a word about next week's Quiet Please, here is our writer director, Willis Cooper. I call next week's story Camera Obscura, which, if you understand Italian, means dark room. 
You may like this story of what takes place in this dark room. And so until next week at this time, I am quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please comes to you from New York. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. <laughs>